0: good to uh, meet so many of you in the break and uh, hear your connection to uh, uh, the neck of woods that I'm from down in Spanish Fort. Many of you have been there. Uh, some have even attended with us that I learned, didn't realize that, but uh, uh, that's. it's always good to be able to find out that the world really is a small place, that we uh, have a lot of things in common. Um, we want to talk a little bit about, and we already have, and a lot of this is is overlapping uh, and, and uh, in nature uh, when we, when we look at roles and the idea of those roles in our last session but um, we want to get a little more specific as far as relationships uh, and how sometimes the relationships that we find ourselves in within the fam- family dynamic and uh, as men uh, can be uncomfortable if we're not equipped and ready to to take our responsibility within those relationships. Uh, God created each one of us as relational beings. Uh, If you go back to the book of Genesis, and you realize that, that, that God created everything, and God created man. And God saw that it was not good for man to be alone, and so God created woman, and he gave him woman. He created relationships God himself had a relationship with man like none other the perfect relationship and then sin ruined it all that's why Jesus came to the cross to restore and reconcile the relationship that we have with God that we can call him our father as a Hebrew writer says, we can go to the very throne room of God and speak to Him, crying, Abba, Father. So we're all about relationships. And without relationships, it becomes unhealthy. But even with relationships, some of those relationships can become unhealthy. In particular, within the framework and the dynamic of our families. We're going to get a little specific in the idea of the relationship we have as fathers and the relationship we have as grandfathers, the relationship that we have as a a husband, the relationship that we bear as the spiritual leader of our families. And let let me just pause there for just a second. I think the temptation, and, and I probably have already fallen into it, is that on occasions like this that we just beat ourselves up as dads and beat ourselves up as husbands. It's, it's interesting. I, I, one Father's Day, I didn't preach on fathers, and someone come up after church, a dad did, and said, you know, I'm really disappointed this morning. I really was looking forward to getting beat up as a dad. And, and typically, if you think about Father's Day and it's coming up, when we preach on Mother's Day, we just build them up as the greatest thing since sliced bread. And we preach on Father's Day, we just eat them alive, man. We make us feel like we're the worst dad in the world, right? Man. <laughs> yeah. Too oftentimes, that's what this ends up being. I don't want it to be that. But there's an aspect to all of this that, that I've touched on and mentioned a few times that I think is really important that maybe we do overlook, and that is the idea of spiritual leadership. In the relationships that God has placed in your life, in particular the ones that you have as a father, grandfather, and husband. It's important to understand, and we'll get to the next session when we talk about responsibility, but it's important to understand that one of the main responsibilities of that is that you're to lead your family. That doesn't mean that you just make all the decisions about where you're going to eat out at. or where are you going to go on vacation or who gets to do what more importantly it involves the guidance that you provide for your family spiritually I just wanted to take a second and and really kind of emphasize that because I think it's very important looking around this room I think most of us could attest to the fact that things were a lot different when we were growing up. The world's changed. When I was coaching, I saw the evolution of all of this from the way kids were when I first started coaching to the way kids were when I finished coaching. I started coaching, there was no Nintendo, there was no video games, there was... None of all that kind of stuff. You didn't have cell phones. You didn't have all that when I started out. When I ended, you had all of that kind of stuff. It was different back then. We played outside all the time, we played with every kid in our neighborhood. The only rule we had was, was when the street light came on, we had to be at home. My parents knew all of our neighbors, knew them by name. We never watched much TV. There was only three channels. And depending on who was gonna stand up there and hold onto the little piece of wire we had on there, whether you're gonna get to watch all of them are not. <laughs> and video games didn't exist. And so back then it seemed like there was, there was more time for family. We all ate together. We, we didn't eat in waves. We went to church together. We visited people and our friends and our relatives and we saw each other a lot. What happened? Our world got complicated. Our world got busy. And men, that's especially true for us. We have more deadlines. We have more meetings. We have more demands. Our world, our little world, outside of, the, outside of our family dynamics have, has gotten complicated and it's, it's got more demands on us. It seems like there's more things that we have to do and there, there are more things that are competing for our time and our energy. And the result of all of that is this. Those important relationships have suffered. Those relationships are the the things that have taken the back seat The things that no longer get our attention. And so as a father, sometimes we struggle. Because we don't have that time. And and, and sometimes we, we don't have that energy. And as a husband, the same thing is true. The Bible says in Colossians 3 and 19, Husbands, love your wives and and don't be harsh with them. Paul, in the parallel passage in Ephesians 5, says that we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Love them the way Christ loves us. Provide for the spiritual protection of our family as as Jesus has provided for the church. Give the leadership that it needs and it deserves. Give the time and the dedication and the effort that our families and our wives need. Do you realize throughout God's word it has more to say to us as men, as husbands, and our need for leadership than it ever says about wives and submission? And maybe we should take note of that. A sobering question that every one of us must ask ourselves is this, who's really providing the leadership? Brother was talking to me in the break and talking about uh, uh, someone that we, we both know from worked at Mobile Christian and how that uh, their mother and his mother had worked uh, together to, to growing up and, and providing some from guidance and biblical instruction. Three th- quarters of moms say their faith was very important in their life only two-thirds of fathers said that. Moms are more religiously active. In a typical week, mothers are more likely than fathers to attend church, pray, read the Bible, participate in a small group, or attend Sunday school. And yet the Bible says more about fathers and husbands and the leadership we to provide than it does about moms. And men, I'm not throwing this out there as an indictment, I'm not. I realize I'm talking to the choir right, you're the cream of the crop, it's storm and rain and you come here to listen to a big ball-headed guy talk this morning. I merely propose that and cite that to help us to think. I had a great friend of mine. He's gone to be with the Lord now. He taught chemistry for thirty-five years in public school, and then he came and taught for another six or seven years chemistry at Mobile Christian. And he always began his classes, and he always emphasized in his classes, he wanted his students to think. When he retired from the school, the students got together and bought him a plaque. This this big old plaque, and the only thing it said on the plaque was the word think. Because Mr. Simmons, that's what he would always say to his students when they were trying to figure out a chemistry problem or they're trying to solve this or do this, he would say think. So men, that's what I want you to do this morning. I just want you to think. I don't, I don't want to give you a checklist of things to do and this, that, and the other and all that. I just want you to think. real love it doesn't want to hurt Paul says it doesn't want to injure it doesn't want to offend it wants to evolve itself completely in the life of the other as I said in Ephesians 5 it says husband love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it what that simply means is this am I willing to die for my wife That's the kind of love that we've got to have. That's the kind of love that we have to demonstrate. And then fathers. In Ephesians 6, and really stepping back to chapter 5 and the verse we just quoted, Paul there's dealing with a lot of the different relationships that we find within the family. He deals with wives, he talks about children. In Ephesians chapter 6, I think it's around verse 4, he makes the statement, he says, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. That's always just caught me as a surprise. Paul is just cruising along, and all of a sudden he goes, Fathers. Fathers. Don't provoke your children to wrath. Why fathers? Fathers. Because I think Paul knew something. I think Paul knew how we think sometimes as dads. I'll take care of the part of little Johnny, little Susie that has enough iron in there to make a spike to hold that little body up. I'll take care of the part of little Johnny and little Susie that's got enough phosphorus in there to make about 60,000 matches. I'll take care of the part of little Johnny and little Susie that's got enough sugar in there to make about 60 large lumps. And the part of little Johnny and little Susie that's going to spend eternity, somebody else can deal with that. False. Paul said, Father. You see, folks, with the relationship comes the responsibility. They didn't ask to come here. They're the result of the union of two people's love. But because we have that relationship as a father, we can't let anything get in the way of that. Because we do get too busy as dads. The most important job we have is at home. And the real quota is seeing that our children and our family make it to heaven. And the most urgent appointment we may ever have is the one I have with my kid. I want you to hear what I'm saying. Nobody can take your place. There's no coach, there's no youth minister, there's no teacher, there's nobody that can take the place of a father. It's a unique role that God created. And every father and grandfather in this room needs to know that you can be a great model, role model for your child. But here's the key. We have to be intentional. just like if you went to a marriage seminar, we're about to have one experience for it. I, I, I've never been to a marriage seminar that somewhere along the way, somewhere in there, the guy that's doing it's going to say, you've got to work at it, man. You've got to work at it, ladies. If you want that marriage to be really successful, you've got to work at it. Well, you know what? Guess what? If we want to be great dads, we've got to work at it. If we want to be great husbands, we do have to work at it. We have to be intentional. And there's some things that are very important. We need to be blameless in a deceitful world. I heard a story about this city boy who went out in the country He was going to buy a donkey. He found an old farmer that had a donkey for sale. The farmer wanted $100 for the donkey. He said, I'll take it. He paid him the $100, and the farmer said, I'll deliver the donkey tomorrow or the next day. So the next day came, and the farmer showed up, and he told the young man, he said, look, I've got some bad news. The donkey died. The young man said, well, that, that, that's no problem. Just give me my money back. He said, well, I can't do that. I actually spent it. The young man said, well, in that case, give me the donkey. He said, What in the world are you going to do with a dead donkey? He said, I'll raffle it off. He said, You can't do that. that that's deceptive. You can't do that. You can't raffle off a dead donkey. He said, Sure, I can. So a few weeks later, the farmer ran in the little boy. He says, How'd did, how, how did it go? He said, Oh, man, went great. I sold 500 tickets, $2 a piece. He said, how'd it turn out? He said, I made a profit of $898. He said, what are you talking about? Nobody complained. He said, yeah, they complained. The guy that won, he said, what did you do? He said, I gave him his $2 back. We must be blameless in a world that's filled with deceit. 1 Peter two twelve says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Men, we must live such good lives among our family that they see our good deeds and God is glorified. We're called to live blameless lives. And like I said before and earlier, they're going to be watching. They're going to see how we react and how we deal with it. And they're going to mimic us. One author said this. He said, embracing a countercultural identity as Christians is not about our survival as much as our task to be the light of the world. And that light shines no brighter than it does in our homes and in front of our children. The easiest thing we'll ever do is be light at church. (laughs) But you know what? There's not a lot of darkness at church. We need to be the light in our homes. Secondly, we've got to be transparent in a phony world. I think Paul was a great example. In 2 Corinthians 11, he said, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. God calls us to live a life that's free from hypocrisy. Remember the example I cited earlier, the man that was in my office about His dad and how they were one way at at church. He lived one way in the pew, but lived a totally different life away from all of that. Hypocrisy. Stop covering up our sin, stop covering up our problem. I think the greatest thing that I can do for my kids is to let them know that I'm messed up and I make mistakes and I need forgiveness. I need the same things that that I'm trying to instill in them that they need. That I'm not perfect. I I can't tell you the number of times that I've had to repent to my children. We need to be willing to do that, to be transparent. Let me, let me tell you, we, we can fool the preacher, we can fool the elders, we can, we can fool the church, but we can't fool our family. They see right through us. I have a new name for Facebook. I call it Fakebook. I know that right now in our world there's a lot of issues with social media and, and, and a lot of things going on with all of that. But here's why I call it that because this is just really, I don't know, as a preacher, this really bothers me a lot. I'll, a lot of people defriended me when I preached this, but that's okay, I don't care. The, the, it's, it, people post all these spiritual quotes and all these verses and all these, all this religious stuff and spiritual stuff all over Facebook and everything, and, and then you turn around and you'll see another post, and it's like completely the opposite. I'm like, who are we fooling? Who are we fooling here? If we try to act one way with our kids over here and a different way with our wives over here and a different way over here and all of this type of stuff, they're going to see it. They're going to know it. We can't practice bumper sticker faith. That's where you know all the slogans and, and you know all the right things to say and you know all the church talk and all that stuff. We need to be practicing life-changing faith. My child needs to see in me, my wife needs to see in me how God has changed me. That same man who sat in my office, who by the way, I I baptized in Christ. That same man, about a year later, his wife was in my office. This is the man who, whose dad, you know, was, left God at the pew. Grew up and said, if that's Christianity, Dad, I want no part of it. Left it and then come back to it. His wife is in my office. Now, his wife grew up differently. His wife grew up in, in the Pentecostal church. And, and, and as her husband said to me, he grew up sitting in the pew. She grew up jumping over the pew. She's in my office, and she wants to know some things. She has some questions, because she's been attending for about a year. Well, let me tell you what she said. She said, I'm amazed at what God has done in the life of my husband. Now, I'd like to think that it was all those great sermons she heard for a solid year. But what really changed that lady? The life that her husband had lived because he had been changed by God in Christ. I baptized her that day. In fact, it was kind of funny. I said, y- You want me to call Walt? And she goes, No, we got to do this right now. <laughs> she didn't even wait for him to get there. <laughs> we must be transparent. They must see in us and know that I'm not perfect and I mess up and I need forgiveness. We must be truthful in a very dishonest world. Psychology Today did some research. They asked 1,000 people how many times they lied in the past 24 hours. The average number of lives told in one day is 1.65. 40% revealed that they had told a lie in the past 24 hours. Men tend to lie more than women, according to the study. Well, we do fish and hunt, right? Okay. John eight thirty two says, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We need to be truthful and honest. The Apostle Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. Come follow me as I follow Christ. The good that I ought to do, I don't always do. Reader's Digest had a story in it that was interesting. It said, a California driver's license examiner uh, told this story. The examiner told the story that a teenager had just driven the almost perfect driving test. Now, I don't know if you ever remember taking your driving test. You know, it's, it's a nerve-wracking experience. You've you got this person over there that's usually not a very nice person. They're, they're always having a bad day, it seems like. And they've got this clipboard, and they've got all this stuff, and, and you're out there doing this driving test, and there's certain maneuvers that you have to do and everything. And they're over there checking, and, and you're wondering whether or not I'm doing everything right and am I going to get my driver's license or not and all of that. And this, this driver's license examiner in California said that she just finished this, this teenager who... who had done almost a perfect test not one single mistake on the test which is kind of unheard of because usually there is something you know I got a little too close to the curb or I did you know there's something to nitpick there and this boy finishes the test this perfect driving test and he jumps out of the car and he's excited and he goes whoo I sure I'm glad I don't have to drive like that all the time You know, we come to a men's day or we come to church or we come somewhere and we hear something and we go, well, that's awesome, that's great. But I sure am glad I don't have to do that all the time. Yeah, you do. You do. We have to do that book all the time. Not the one that goes in my car, the other one that I showed you. The call to holiness. And that's a word that scares because we don't want to be perceived as holier than thou, but we're to live holy, which literally means set apart. To live that set apart life, it's not always easy, because we, we live in a world that's full of deception, a world that's, that's full of lies, a world that's, that's not very transparent. And so it might make us feel a little uncomfortable at times, but in those relationships, we need to Live it all the time. Abraham. I was talking to someone earlier about Abraham. Boy, it'd take a couple days to unpack that guy's life. He was called by God to leave and go to a place that God would show him. You ever thought about that, man? walking into your house one day and saying, honey, pack up, we're leaving. Where are we going? I'm not quite sure. We'll figure it out. God will show us. I think I know how Barbara would react. She'd somebody say, give me a ring when you get there. Show me some pictures, FaceTime with me. Let me look around. If I like it, yeah, we'll come. 600 miles this guy leaves, or the Chaldeans, and goes to a place that God would show him. spiritual head of his family leading his wife and in this case his nephew going along with him and as uncomfortable as those relationships might seem at times the key to the whole thing is this obedience obedience to God trusting in faith that God will give us the strength. May God help us to be the fathers and the husbands that we need to be. Some of you might recognize the name Mac Brown. Coach Brown coaches now for the North Carolina Tar Heels. For a long time, though, Coach Brown coached for the Texas Longhorns, University of Texas. And if you'll remember, Several years ago, the national championship game was between Texas and USC. Pete Carroll was the coach at USC. They had uh, an incredible team. I mean, they were loaded. Reggie, um, whatever his last name is, Bush, yeah, there you go, thank you. You know, Matt Leidner was a the quarterback. They had, they had another running back. They, they had it all. I mean, they were loaded. Texas was pretty good too, okay? They had a pretty good quarterback. You know, Vince Young, he was pretty good. It was a great game, if you like games. It came down to like the last few seconds, minute or so. Vince Young broke one around the right end, went in, scored. Texas wins the national championship. Now, I'm from Alabama, just saying. We've won a few ourselves. But if you notice after that, there's there's always this incredibly huge celebration. okay? Incredibly huge celebration. Everyone's ecstatic. Everybody's going crazy. Texas gets back into the locker room, and Coach Brown is going to address his team after having just won the national championship. Here's what he told his team. Men, don't let this be the greatest thing that you ever do. Don't let winning the national championship in front of a national audience, thousands of people in the stands, and thousands of people watching you on TV. Don't let this, the thing that you have worked for since way back there in the heat and all the stuff you did to get here and to win this thing, to finally have a chance and to finally win it, don't let this be the greatest thing that you ever do in life. Because what we need, here's what Coach Brown told him, says, what we need is we need great fathers and we need great husbands. Let that be the greatest thing that you ever do. I don't know what great thing you're working on in your life. But may I be so bold to say don't let that be the greatest thing because what we need is we need great fathers and we need great husbands. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for the example that Christ shows to us about what love really is. We thank you for the relationships that we have in our life, in our families. And I pray, God, that you will be with us and help us as fathers and husbands, grandfathers and spiritual leaders of our family, Lord, that that we will give them the priority that they deserve and that you require of us that we can be the great dad and the great husband that we need to be, that we can guide them, Father, in truth. And Father, help us. Help us to be transparent. Help us to be true. But most of all, help us to lean heavily upon you who provides all things that we need for our success. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Thank you, Brother Rick. Appreciate you. Uh, Just ten-minute break again. And uh, let's try to uh, chase if you can just keep an eye on the clock in ten minutes.